Our gospel reading today is from Luke chapter 9. About eight days after saying this, Jesus took Peter, John, and James and went up onto a mountain to pray. While Jesus was praying, his face changed in appearance and the clothes he wore became dazzlingly white. Suddenly, two people were there talking with Jesus, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and spoke of the prophecy that Jesus was about to fulfill in Jerusalem. Peter and the others had already fallen into a deep sleep, but awakening, they saw Jesus' glory and the two people who were standing next to him. When the two were leaving, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, how good it is for us to be here. Let's set up three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter didn't really know what he was saying. While Peter was speaking, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and the disciples grew fearful as the others entered it. Then from the cloud came a voice which said, This is my own, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice finished speaking, they saw no one but Jesus standing there. The disciples kept quiet, telling nothing of what they had seen at that time to anyone. The following day, when they came down the mountain, a large crowd awaited them. A man stepped out of the crowd and said, Teacher, please come and look at my son, my only child. A demon seizes him, and he screams, and it throws him into convulsions until he foams at the mouth. It releases the boy only with difficulty, and when it does, he is exhausted. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they couldn't. Jesus said in reply, You unbelieving and perverse generation, how much longer must I be among you and put up with you? Bring the child to me. As the boy approached, the demon dashed the child to the ground and threw him into a violent convulsion. But Jesus reprimanded the unclean spirit, healed the child, and returned him to his father. All present were awestruck at the greatness of God. You may be seated. (laughs) Jesus' disciples are really not having a good day. In the first part of our gospel reading, Peter, James, and John go with Jesus up a mountain to pray. While they're there, the disciples fall asleep, and when they wake up, everything around them is confusing. First of all, these two people, Moses and Elijah, who have been dead for hundreds of years, are chatting with Jesus. On top of that, all three of them are glowing, like physically glowing, and they're talking about this prophecy. While it doesn't tell us exactly what they're saying, we can guess that even if they stated clearly that Jesus was about to be executed and then resurrected and then ascend to heaven, that would be confusing enough and usually prophecy isn't that clear. So, faced with this truly bewildering scene, Peter, who's maybe also still groggy from sleep, suggests that he build some shelters for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah to stay in. It's not an irrational response. If the disciples are tired, which they must be, they fell asleep after all, it makes sense for Peter to assume that Jesus, Moses, and Elijah might be tired too. Peter has the right spirit. He wants to be hospitable. He wants to serve Jesus and Moses and Elijah. But he's overwhelmed by the onslaught of information he's trying to process, and that leaves him a little confused. His absolute best intentions just aren't 
quite enough to make sense of the strange, destabilizing reality he's facing. And then, after they come down the mountain, we learn that there are some other disciples who have been trying to help a child and his father, but they haven't been able to. It seems like they've been overwhelmed too, just like Peter, James, and John. Picture the scene. This young child suddenly seizes, screams, convulses, foams at the mouth, and when all that ends, he's exhausted. We today in the 21st century might not know quite how to understand this condition. Maybe it's akin to epilepsy or something else that we have medical language for too, but maybe it's not. And either way, the description alone is jarring. So I'm imagining this desperate parent seeing his child in this horrific pain, pleading with the disciples to heal his child. I'm sure they'd want to. Who wouldn't? They'd have the motivation, they'd have the willing hearts, but the kid's dad tells Jesus that they just couldn't do it. Whether they were lacking information or power or something else, no matter how much they wanted to, they couldn't sufficiently address the situation. It was just too much. And then, to add to the overwhelm, Jesus' reaction feels jarring too. It can be hard for us to take it in when Jesus gets angry, frustrated, and impatient. And the disciples probably didn't like it much either. These people have been learning from Jesus, watching and participating in his ministry, and being mentored by him. Now, he's entrusted them with sharing in the work he's been doing, and when he left them alone, only briefly really, in that short time they couldn't live up to his expectations. So it's understandable that Jesus would be frustrated. But even though we can understand this very human reaction from Jesus, we also know all too well, I think, how the disciples must have felt when he responded this way. To be disappointed in yourself already and then have someone, someone like maybe a parent, a teacher, or a supervisor chastise you, that can be destabilizing too. While the disciples are trying to cope with all these feelings, Jesus is dealing with his own. Jesus has been trying to get Peter, James, and John to understand this huge, world-changing thing that's about to happen, and he hasn't been able to get through to them. And then he finds out that these other people he's trusted seem to be debilitated by overwhelm and confusion too. Maybe Jesus is caught up in the confusion of this series of events in his own way. Why can't the disciples just get it? So, realizing it's useless to try to explain all these things with words, Jesus addresses the situation with action instead, healing this child that the disciples have been unable to heal. Just for a moment, Jesus gives up on making the disciples get it, because it's clear that the child is the higher priority. I'm willing to bet that, for the disciples, watching that was scary too, and confusing and overwhelming and maybe just a little bit infuriating. They've been seeing this child suffer and trying to make any difference, and Jesus comes along and does it immediately and with an attitude that implies that they should have been able to do it without him. So all of these people, Peter, James, John, the other disciples, and probably the child and his father too, are confronted with this confusing, bewildering, overwhelming experience of the divine.
Jesus shows up in ways they aren't prepared for and don't know how to respond to. Jesus does things they aren't expecting and responds to their confusion in ways they aren't expecting, too. When I try to imagine the experience, I think of the sensation of getting breaking news alerts on my phone. Confusion, dread, and helplessness, knowing that there is so much in the world beyond my control. And I don't know about you, but I have been confronted with that sensation a lot lately. This morning, we find ourselves at the end of another destabilizing, disorienting week, the latest in a long, long series of destabilizing weeks. We all cope with the breaking news alert feelings in different ways, but the most common reactions fall into a few categories. Fight, flight, or freeze. Personally, I have two different breaking news alert modes. Either I become totally overwhelmed by the state of the world, to the point of curling up in my bed and doing nothing else but worry about it for the rest of the day. That's freeze. Or my anger drives me to action, and I do everything in my power to address the situation. That's fight. Flight would be something like throwing yourself into something happy so that you can ignore the situation entirely. And in recent years, I have had much more consistent practice with fight and freeze and maybe a little bit of flight for good measure than I was previously used to. I'm willing to bet I'm not alone in that. So this week, when those breaking news alerts pop up, I'm holding on to a sense of solidarity, knowing not only that I'm not alone in those feelings of destabilization, but that people across the bounds of time and space including in the Bible, including Jesus, have felt them too. Perhaps what feels oddest in some ways about Peter, James, and John's mountaintop experience is that what destabilized them most was God's presence. The passage from Exodus tells us about a destabilizing experience of God too. Moses goes up a mountain to talk to God, and when he comes down, the text tells us that the skin of his face was shining, and the people were afraid to come near him. God shows up in an unexpected place and in an unexpected way, and it is really scary. It's scary for the Israelites, and when it happens in our world today, it's scary for us too. It can destabilize us, our faith, and our worldview. Whether it's in a breaking news alert or in a family situation or in something else entirely, it can be hard to tell sometimes where exactly God is in that destabilization, even if we can recognize that the presence of God is somehow part of it. We might not know how to react, and our flight and freeze instincts might lead us to recoil trying to stay away from whatever or whoever it is that has brought that experience of God near to us. There's a delightful musical by Stephen Sondheim called Into the Woods. It was made into a movie in 2014 starring Meryl Streep. Maybe you've seen it. It brings together a number of classic fairy tale characters and explores some of the less happily ever after parts of their stories. After a series of misadventures, culminating with being eaten by the wolf, 
Little Red Riding Hood reflects on her experiences of being entranced by the wolf and learning the hard way just how scary the world really is. But, she sings, when everything familiar seemed to disappear forever, at the end of the path was Granny once again. In the scariest possible moment, literally being eaten alive, she finds reassurance in the presence of her granny in the wolf's stomach. Now, this is not to say that God wants us to be scared or that we have to go through horrible suffering to experience God. Certainly not. But sometimes, being destabilized can bring us to a new reality. Little Red returns to her previous state, no longer in the wolf's stomach, but she's not the same person she had been before she was eaten. And singing this song, reflecting on her destabilizing experience, allows her to dwell in it for a while. She stays in the discomfort just a moment longer, processing the new possibilities that it has brought up for her. Little Red is able to do this because of her granny's presence, which gives her just enough comfort in the midst of her destabilization. And we are able to do this because of God's presence, even when, like granny in the stomach of the wolf, God's presence is unexpected and confusing. Whether it's in the unexpectedly shining face of someone we thought we knew, or some glimmering speck of hope in the painful realities we grapple with every day, these experiences of destabilization can lead us into a renewed or changed relationship with God if we are willing to tolerate the discomfort long enough. In the biblical narratives, both in Exodus and Luke, the people have to dwell in discomfort for quite a while. Both the Israelites and the disciples struggle to process their destabilizing experiences of God. Moses chooses to address this by covering his face so as to lessen the sense of destabilization. And the disciples honestly don't really get any payoff for theirs until Pentecost in the book of Acts. And between this transfiguration narrative and the day of Pentecost, they have to go through the most destabilizing experience of all, watching their friend and teacher be executed by the state, only just barely beginning to grieve, and then suddenly seeing him alive again. In the cross and the empty tomb, God breaks all the rules, destabilizing everything we know about the world. The disciples are starting to learn this morning and will continue to learn all the way through our journey of Lent and Easter that the Jesus they thought they knew is so much more, and the calling to follow and teach and heal is so much harder than they expected. And although we know Easter is coming, we still have Lent ahead of us. We still have pandemic, war, and any number of other destabilizing realities to cope with. And those flight and freeze instincts are strong, making us want to cling to a sense of comfort or safety. We want to go back to our last best state, back to whatever most recently felt safe. So, like I said, I curl up in my bed. But again, Little Red challenges us not to. Once she and her granny have been liberated, she states confidently, 
I know things now, many valuable things that I hadn't known before. Do not put your faith in a cape and a hood. They will not protect you the way that they should. Her cape and her hood had been her security blanket. While they might not be literal, physical things, we all have these things that make us feel safe. And like her story illustrates, that false sense of security can sometimes actually hurt us more. Maybe our capes and hoods take the form of familiar church practices or politely avoiding hard conversations. Maybe we retreat to the comfort of our social status where we can avoid some of the scarier things in the world. Maybe, like Peter, we're inclined to stick to the forms of hospitality and faithfulness that we've always practiced. Maybe, like those unnamed disciples, we hope that someone else will come deal with the destabilizing thing for us. Maybe we wish that, like Moses, the destabilizing presence will simply disguise itself so that we don't have to grapple with it. But if we can dwell in the discomfort, ask where God might be present in it, and expect to be surprised by the answers, we just might find our destabilizing experiences actually propel us forward. In moments like this one, we might find that our options are either to run and be comfortable or to stay and find God. And what we know is that on the other side of that horrifically destabilizing Good Friday that the disciples have yet to experience, there is abundant life. For the disciples in our gospel text today, at Easter and in the destabilization of our own lives, Jesus defies our expectations and does more than we could have hoped. And that in and of itself can be destabilizing, but it can also be empowering. Like the father of the child Jesus heals, we are given grace to act with great boldness, pleading with Jesus to enter our scary and destabilizing experiences and show us just what God can do. Thanks be to God.